This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. Anyone can become an agent of innovation. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Balchunas. Eric, we've got a couple colleagues who've been on the show before, Ben Steverman, Suzanne Woolley. You might remember them from our great March Madness best ticker contest. Ben won. Yeah, Ben won with Empty, which is the sort of death of the mall ETF. It, it basically shorts mall stocks. And, uh, and he, he did say it was a long-term play because it hasn't done well lately. It's it, down uh, 10% since... Ouch. He made the call. And he bounced <laughs> Suzanne Woolley with Moo, which is up now 5% since that contest. Ha! <sighs> yeah, Moo, it's interesting. Moo has traditionally been thought of as the greatest ticker of all time, but uh, not that day. <laughs> <sighs> so sad and so unjust. So we, we welcome them back to Trillions. Uh, they work on Bloomberg News with me, Erickson Bloomberg Intelligence. Back before I was in BI, I was in data. And Suzanne, um, I was contributing art- articles to Suzanne in the personal finance. You started a blog, right? Ventured yeah. and Gained? Yeah, Ventured and Gained. It was, you did so many great pieces. We were like way ahead of the curve. And <laughs> I got approval from Data to submit articles to this blog. When the blog ended, but then you allowed me to submit articles because I just uh, – I, I, w- I used to be a financial journalist, so yeah. I missed doing it. And then when I went to BI, I, that got shut down. They want all my stuff to be sort of uh, but you on had the terminal such- only. Creative ideas, but, like oh, the, the Radiohead. She green-lighted the Radiohead article, yeah. which became that one, one of, episode. One of our top-performing yeah. episodes <laughs> of all time. But this episode of Trillions is not about us. It's about you guys, because you also do uh, something that's updated quarterly on Bloomberg.com. That's called? Where to invest $10,000 right now. It's so catchy. It's I know. Like, it just makes you want to click on it. I know. Right now, <laughs> give me the goods. It's a, it's a little. It's got a tinge of BuzzFeed. I know, know. I know. It's true. Eight ETFs you should own and stop. You know, worrying about it. And we always give advice about, you know, checking your portfolio, checking your risk. There's I. You get the yeah the to the be spinach. sure to be sure. Here's some spinach. Yeah, the spinach first, and then it's like, I don't know, jalapeno. <laughs> So in this episode of Trillions, where to invest $10,000 right now. Okay, so I really want to know where I'm supposed to invest $10,000 right now. Also, if you have any insights on how I can get $10,000 right now, that'd be great too. Uh, but before we kind of get into that, I, let's also just take a step back and talk about what, what's been happening in the markets right now. Because things got a little bloody for a second. Yeah, the market went down uh, quite a bit last week um, and seems to be coming back now. Um, I talked to a lot of investors about it, and some of them were really relieved because the valuations right now are just so high. So if you're just a, if you're a professional, this might be scary. But if you actually have your money, your retirement money in the market, and you're, that money is coming out of your paycheck and going into your 401k, and you're buying at these prices, 
it, it, it looks like there's not any good places to put your money. You know, people keep saying, oh, emerging markets are this great value. And then they've been really Hammered. painful, oh, yeah. really been really tough. And then the U.S. stocks look great, but they just look at the valuations. They're really high, and it doesn't look like you're going to get much return from them. So it was like a relief rally. It was a little bit, bit of a deep yeah, breath. Maybe. But yeah. it's interesting because the market has been going up for a long time. None of the people you spoke with you know, have this feeling that, okay, this is the big one. The market's really going to go down now. It sounds like if everybody has that attitude, that's exactly why these have – Really short bottoms. They come, they really bounce back very quickly. Uh, but uh, when they, when it was happening, it felt like, especially on Twitter. I mean, the bears were coming out doing touchdown dances. Where you know, where are all the bulls now? And then, boom! Three days later, we're back to normalcy. Right. I was uh, actually I was in Oklahoma, so I was out of the bubble. I was reporting a story, and I nobody mentioned the market. The economy seemed to be doing amazingly. Everywhere I looked, there was new development, new new building. And um, I think there's a mood talking to these investors like they see the economy and they just can't imagine a real bear market in these economic conditions because it just feels so good right now. On the flip side, let's face it, the stock market went up for a little while when the economy was a little – was struggling more. So can the stock market still go up now the economy is good? In other words – how much can stocks just go up and up? People I talked to were like, oh, I don't think it'll be, another, it'll be another year before it really crashes. But then again, like, what's your risk return here? Like, how much further can it really go up? I, I don't think people feel like it's go- they're going to lose a lot of money right now, but they don't see themselves making a lot of money either. So, Ben, with the people that you spoke with, did they view this last little spasm as a buying opportunity? Um, yeah, a few people did. Nobody was panicking. That's for sure. Some people were investing more. I I actually worry about some of the people I was talking to. I mean, there a lot of folks in their sixties and seventies who are ninety percent stocks, seventy five percent stocks, fifty five percent stocks. So if the market actually does go down twenty five, thirty percent, and they're on the verge of retirement, they're actually in some trouble. So I, I actually do worry about now that we're this many years into this bull market. Where, how far out on a ledge a lot of folks are. I agree because there are some really pretty subpar estimates for the S&P going forward over the next decade. I think Morningstar expects real, you know, adjusted inflation-adjusted returns of something like 1.5% or 2 or I think maybe even lower. So if you get whacked in a downturn and you don't have time to recover, it's, it's a really dangerous thing to have happen early in a retirement because you just it's very hard to earn that money back. Okay, so let's get to the goods. I got $10,000. Where do I spend it? Oh, sorry. Invest it. <laughs> That's a totally different article. Yeah, we'll do that next. <laughs> a fun weekend. Well, if you're Russ Kosterich um, at uh, BlackRock, you would look at cheap Asian equities he thinks Japan is cheap, and Japan is usually trades a little cheaply, but he thinks, you know, there's a good reason now why it shouldn't be trading at such a discount. And he also likes um, stocks in South Korea. Hmm. And um, What did he like about South Korea? Well, South Korean equities, he said, um, are not only like the cheapest equities in the emerging markets – but even looking across, like equities, sovereign debt, credit, they are by some measures the cheapest asset class. So really, it's just the pure cheapness, I think, as opposed to a real fundamental. And Eric, you got a ticker that gives me some exposure there? 
Yeah, so on, on these articles, I will give the ETF to play it. I, I picked EWJ. I mean, Rust works at BlackRock. It's also the most liquid. EWJ is a big Japan ETF. However, if you are more cost conscious and don't need that liquidity, there's a whole new – the fee war has broken out everywhere, including Japan. So you can get the Franklin FTSE Japan ETF for nine basis points now. I mean, that's Vanguardian wow. level. Wow. And the JP Morgan, BBJP, which is 19 basis points, and they effectively do the same thing. But some investors like to currency hedge in Japan. DXJ was a huge hit, which it's actually doing a little better than EWJ because the dollar's gotten strong. So if you think the dollar's going to be strong, you might want a currency hedge over there. But also, one other th- interesting thing that Japan and South Korea, um, you know, a lot of these Asian countries and Japan aren't in an ETF together. It's, it's weird. There's like emerging market Asia ETFs, then there's Japan. Asia X Japan. It was tough to find them all together. So you could do EWJ plus AAXJ. AAXJ is a Asia ETF that is X Japan. So it has China, South Korea, Hong Kong, Taiwan, or VEA, the Vanguard Devel- uh, Developed International, has Japan, and it also considers South Korea developed. So it's in there. So you get both in that. But then again, you get a lot of other countries with that too. I love that South Korea is still not always considered a developed market. It's still emerging. It's like I know you go there and it's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> when this, I, is, this is like more advanced than the U.S. When I when I was writing this uh, this piece up, both you know my editor and the copy editor asked me to check that South Korea was indeed classified as an emerging market. So is Russ a recurring character? Yes. So that's part of this exercise. You've got this Mm -hmm. little panel. Every quarter you go back to them and say, what are we going to buy $10,000 with right now? Yep, yep. So how how was Russ's last time? Last time, what did Russ... um, He said the same thing. I have here emerging Asia Pacific. Did he say the same thing last quarter? He, (laughs) uh, you know... Russ just mails it in. <laughs> Russ is literally phoning literally, it in. Literally, like, copy, paste. You know, I can't always get them to change things. So we got five. We've done one. Who's number two? We've got Sarah Ketterer. She's with um, Causeway Capital. And she thinks that, A, that value may finally start to triumph over growth, mm. which is would be a really big change, which I don't believe Eric agrees with no right? I, I it has to come back of course uh, essentially someone right. on twitter the like day sometime said, in our lifetimes yeah right at some point someone on twitter the day said what song best describes like value investing right now and the answers were epic they were like everybody hurts <laughs> um, don't stop believing um there was some classics on there and i realized that a lot of songs are about pain and that's what value investing is about it's about how long can you take the pain but eventually you'll be right uh the question is when Mm-hmm. Yeah, can you last that long? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, Sarah um, liked global consumer staples, and she actually chose uh, tobacco stocks within the staples, which she, you know, said is the most maligned and possibly misunderstood segment, obviously an unhealthy segment. But she thinks that combustible traditional cigarettes are going to go away. More people are going to start vaping, which we're seeing. Not that that's healthy, mind you, but... And that, you know, while the regulations about va- around vaping get established, the smaller entrants are going to have a harder time, you know, with the costs of that greater regulation. So it gives the incumbent big tobacco companies an edge. And Eric, I think you found sort of a, a dividend index because part of what part of her argument was to find high dividend yielding stocks. So how did you screen for that? 
This was a tough one. Uh, most of them are pretty easy, to be honest with you, which is good because I'm usually doing this in a rush. <laughs> but the, this one was hard. Um, I think I did a screen for it, um, dividend fund with at least uh, such and such in Staples. And this one came to the top. I started kicking it around. I'm like, you know what? This is pretty perfect. It's the First Trust Morningstar Dividend Leaders, FDL. It screens for stocks that have dividend consistency. It, then it picks the 100 highest yielding names. It's heavy consumer staples. And big tobacco companies are in the top 10 holdings. And it's, got a, it's pretty good, $1.4 billion, So it's got nice tight spreads. It's very liquid. Charges 0.45%. So it uh, seemed to fit the bill for what she was uh, looking for. Ben, how do you feel about investing in tobacco? Oh, I, I was actually thinking about dividend stocks and how I'd, I might not want to invest in those either. I, tobacco uh, seems like too narrow of a play to me. It just seems like for me, for me, I'd like to be more diversified. But I, with dividends, I was thinking like, what do you get? Like a two percent yield? Like if rates are rising, like you can do better with bonds, and that's a lot safer. Like why? Would, why? Why? Why the dividend play now? Much uh, less risk, you know. The um, FDL, I think it it yielded a three point four percent. Oh, so. okay. Right. Still, though, I see what you're saying. These, you know, we looked uh, recently. You know, a lot of dividend ETFs yield less than the ten year now. I mean, it's a lot of them, including big ones. So, the ones that yield more typically tip into utilities and staples. So, you definitely mm-hmm. have this rate risk more with those. So, it's a. You're right. There's much more risk. They look very innocent, don't they? Yeah, it's it's this play that we've heard about for years and years and years. You know, safe. You know, dividend yeah, stocks. Yeah, I agree. But but do, do you Eventually like it, that could change. These people in Oklahoma that you talked to, you said they're heavy equities. Do you think part of the heavy equities is going into high dividend yielding stocks to make up for the fact that they couldn't get yields and treasuries? Yeah, I think that's totally true. Right. They didn't want to be in bonds and they didn't want to be in cash because they saw that losing out to, you know, to to inflation. Like they couldn't keep up with inflation with some of that stuff and and now they have other alternatives, I think. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents. People who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Okay, number three. Number three is Ian Harnett, who is the chief investment strategist at Absolute Strategy Research. He's out of London. And his idea, um, his favorite move, is to go long on treasuries. Um, We've obviously seen a lot of turmoil in treasuries lately. Um, This uh, this was the one that seemed a little... A little um, out of step with the the news cycle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true, but um, you know, he he really thinks that people should go buy long dated bonds all the way up to the thirty year, uh, with yields close to three point four percent. You know, he points out that even the hawks don't expect more than four rate rises in the coming year. So that was one of his 
ideas. And the other, another one that I thought was interesting was um, to buy U.S. exposed stocks in markets that have sold off aggressively for other reasons. So he mentioned things like uh, Fiat Chrysler Automotives and Luxottic Group. They both have over 50% of their sales in the U.S., and he sort of saw that as a, uh, a cheap way into buying U.S. earnings. How did you feel about that one, Eric? For that one, I honed in on the treasuries, and he was he seemed to love all treasuries, uh, the ones on the short end, the middle, and the long end of the curve. So I went with GOVT, which is a treasury ETF that invests in the whole enchilada. So you get all mm-hmm. the way you know, from— Is it treasury and enchilada? <laughs> Just, I wanted to check. I know you like food what kind metaphors. Of, what kind of enchilada so, is it? I think a treasury enchilada would be very like organic, and you feel like you didn't even eat after eating it. That's that would that was I think boring. It would have iceberg lettuce. <laughs> oh, okay, this, this does not sound like a good enchilada. In in your in talk back to the Oklahoma crowd. <laughs> <laughs> this say, say, this focus group that we're now like leaning yeah, on heavily. Okay, okay. <laughs> we have seen that over the last two years. Well, this is the last twelve months. It, it seems Trump stuff uh, doesn't really affect the markets that much. The media goes nuts. Markets don't move. But rates, you really can see a lot of upheaval in bond ETFs. How do investors over there um, sort of take in these gigantic variables? like politics and rates. Do rates matter more or how are they feeling? You know, I actually heard more about the hurricane than I did about Trump. Uh, What Trump said about the Fed seemed to spook a few people. He was commenting on that. But otherwise, you know, I think your average like 65-year-old retiree with $2 million in a portfolio or something isn't probably watching the Fed as closely as as we are here uh, at Bloomberg World Headquarters. But (laughs) yeah, we're in our little bubble Guaranteed. Number four. Number four is Jim Paulson of the Luthal Group. He was cautious, as he was um, the quarter before. He talked about balanced investors might want to reduce their equity allocations in favor of bonds, even though yields are rising. Um, But he was the one person who looked at gold because it had been down a while since spring, although recently it bounced back in all this of this turmoil. And Eric picked uh, a couple good gold ETFs. New generation. New school gold. Yeah. yeah, Hmm. Everybody thinks GLD and IAU, but there's a ton of new ones out. Um, Why'd you mix it up? uh, Because if you're reading this and you're probably retail, you're probably really more focused on the expense ratio. You don't need GLD's highly liquid volume. You're not like CalPERS, okay? So I went with the cheaper ones. So the the new school gold ETFs are cheap. So for example, BAR and GLDM are both 18 basis points, but as we were writing this, Barr cut its fee to 0.1749 to be 51 one-hundredths of a basis point cheaper than GLDM. That's how hardcore oh my the God. fee war is getting. How'd they, how'd they uh, A, how is it cheaper than the usual ones, your usual suspects, and how so, do they get it down that much more? So 18 or 17 and a half, if you will, is <clears throat> more than twice as cheap as GLD, which is 40. So... You know, but when you're if you're used to paying for funds like one two percent, you know, getting down to that level is almost a rounding error. But if you were thinking about it, if you pay, if you had an option to pay forty dollars for something, or eighteen or seventeen dollars for that same thing, I mean, everybody would pick the cheaper one. So in a way, if you're going long term, those those basis points will add up. So there's no reason not to use these cheaper. All they're doing the same thing. They're storing gold in a vault, and that's that. 
There's nothing different about them. So all else equal, you might as well go for the cheaper one. GLDM, in fact, was launched by G- the GLD people. I call it the mini-me, GLD's mini-me, specifically to stave off this coming fee war. So now they have like the big GLD, which traders love, and they can still charge a lot. Now they got the new one for, oh, you want cheap? We got that too now. Cheap gold. <laughs> there you go. Um, ben, I want to ask you uh, about people you talk to, even beyond the Oklahoma crowd. What are the feelings of gold out there? I know on Twitter you tend to have bugs and haters, and it's a very it's a controversial asset class. Do you find that generally people use gold, or should they even use it? Is it is it worth it? Well, I think you have the same split among like regular investors as you do among, among professionals. Like, I don't see the point of it. If you're asking my opinion, I don't get why you would want it, uh, especially these gold bugs who are like obsessed with, with these ETFs, like that you have to have the gold in the vaults that they can like put like a, an identification code on and like <laughs> they know it's safe there in case like the world comes to an end. I don't know how you're going to get your gold from London or wherever the heck this is if, if the world does come to an end. And uh, further on your gold storage issue, it's um, there's actually gold ETFs that store it in different places to appeal to those like paranoid crowd types. So SGOL, if you are very paranoid, stores it in Switzerland because – and they'll say, look, Franklin um, Roosevelt confiscated gold and they don't trust any Western country storing the gold. Then there's another one that will send gold to your house when you redeem if you want. It's a huge fee, but people like think that if you're going to promise to do that, you must be actually holding the gold. I think at some point you just buy the gold bars yourself and like keep them in your basement and go that direction. Oh, <laughs> Ben Steverman did a great story on that. Well, the question is, where do you put the gold when you get it? And all these guys, um, they're all guys. They uh, <laughs> do they do these crazy things where they like will paint it black and use it as a doorstop, or they'll bury it no somewhere. No doorstop here. Just a, <laughs> yeah, 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 a black thing. Just a black thing on the ground that. <laughs> Really hurts if you stub your toe on it, and um, but the problem is then like they die, and then people can't find it, or people put their gold in the ground, and then they can't find remember where they put it, and so so I, I in other words, leave they're it in a about, safety deposit box. They're worrying about somebody coming to their house and like knows that you have gold and and steals it, so they paint it just in case that one thing happens. Yeah, I've heard them using it in gardens. You know, they sort of <laughs> outline the garden in like gold bricks painted black. I want to come to that garden, <laughs> you, but you don't want to. You don't want to hang out with that guy. All right, number five. Okay, number five was interesting. Um, Jim Hamill of Artisan Global, he um, wants is investing in sort of, they as a shop invest in solid franchises, stocks that are solid franchises. And he's into the digital payment space, which he sees as, you know, pretty recession proof. um, Because people are going to use it no matter what. Right. So he's big on a number of um, stocks there domestically and abroad. And I looked at his, uh, the, the holdings of some of the artisan funds, and they had stocks including like Visa, Pug Seguro Digital, WorldPay, Q2 Holdings. Um, and that's just like a basic play on how we transact today. And Eric found a – I think you picked iPay, how'd you, right? How would you get exposure to that? Um, I, I think I just started typing mobile payments <laughs> and uh, the autocomplete. Normally, if you just type a phrase, guarantee there's an ETF tracking. <laughs> the autocomplete <laughs> will help you out. Um, and sure enough, there was. I had recalled something out there that was doing this, and iPay is the ticker. 
it's actually really big for an indie ETF launch with no big backing. It's from ETFMG Group. It's $500 million. It's had a nice run. It's up, um, looks like uh, 44% since launching. And that's more than the S&P and XLK. And it's got an 83% active share or original exposure to the tech ETF. <laughs> so, but a lot of the names you've heard of in here, um, you know, like uh, Visa, MasterCard, American Express. But then you get down after those, and there's a, most companies I have never heard of. So um, it's a decent – it passes some of my, te- my tests for being a decent mobile payments play. The question that I don't know, which is hard to gauge, is how much of these stocks here – get revenue from the mobile payment trend. That's another thing you should look at. Right. You know, judging from this, it doesn't look like it's a bunch of stocks that everybody owns repackaged and put with a new name. It looks pretty legit, in my opinion. And 500 million is is pretty decent. Okay, so we got one more. And it's our our token Vanguard guy because it used to be one guy. Now it's a new guy. Yes. Who is he? Yes. Um, Joe Davis, who's their chief global economist and head of investment strategy, because um, the guy we had before went to become Vanguard's first global chief risk officer. Promotion. So, <laughs> so his replacement, you know, Vanguard talks a lot about very, you know, good standard advice that Eric Welchunas finds really boring. But it's one of those boring but important things about diversifying and sort of looking at portfolio, maybe diversifying out of FANG stocks a little bit. But the main point I think, you know, Joe Davis made was basically like over the long run, these blips, they get canceled out. Um, So he just, you know, don't market time. Basically, this article, Vanguard should is probably not the right person to ask because it's like, you know, where to invest 10000 Vanguard's just not going to give a fun answer. I mean, they're just going to say diversify, and they every time it comes, I read like it ex- every quarter. I read it. I'm like, like the real thing that you. What should am I going to pick do? here? There's literally no ETF, so I always I pick the same one. VTI. Eric, Eric yells at me every year. I <laughs> thought they're sort of like ballast. You know, they're like the voice of. Yeah, you're right. Know, this is like the the you know the vegetables at the end of this article, which is like, truth be known, it's probably best to just buy VTI, which is the total stock market covers the whole thing for four basis points, but the SEC lending revenue goes back in, so it actually tracks perfectly. It's literally free exposure. You could not get – in fact, we wrote an article one day saying this is as close to a perfect ETF as possible. It's huge. It's the third ETF ever to hit $100 billion uh, for a reason. It's just so easy and good, but it, it is definitely boring. Yeah, it, I know. It doesn't give you much to work with. I, I, I'm sorry about that, Eric. <laughs> that's okay. It, if, just, you know, it, you, it does go up, though, so that, that's not – so terrible. And if you only had $10,000, if that's all you had, like you probably shouldn't put it all in tobacco stocks. Like totally. It, no, if the article – now, that's a good if, – if the article is – if you only had $10,000, then the first five you got to get out. <laughs> put Vanguard, move them to the top and make that the end. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yep. So speaking of $10,000, you've been doing this for a second, Suzanne. What it, how long have you been doing it? Since uh, 2016, we've been doing it. And what do you think you've learned by doing it and asking this question of so many different investors? Um, I think I've learned that, you know, there are so many different ways to look at the market and also to just always keep a a broad perspective. We get very sort of zeroed in on the S&P 500 and we're so, you know, we're here in New York. We're just in our own little, little bubble. Um, 
I would never have looked at South Korean the South Korean equity market before. So, I mean, I've, I've learned a lot about sort of what the opportunities are and that there always are opportunities. I've also learned that Eric Belchunas is an invaluable resource. <laughs> he always pulls through for me. I send him like a panic note, like, I've I've got all the entries. Can you write them up? And Usually you have all but one. There's somebody who hasn't sent it in. I'm like, good. Now that, that person's buying me a little more time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Ben, what have you learned by reading? Um, I, I am the kind of person who just like reads this, the Vanguard thing because I'm just, as I said, I'm like not fun at all when it comes to investing. But I think it's really interesting to hear about the fact that these two really, really smart people can can completely disagree on everything or be looking at completely different parts of the world. And um, that's one of the great things about investing is that it's very democratizing and very humbling. Ben, Suzanne, thanks for joining us on Trillions. You can say something. You're welcome. (laughs) You're welcome. Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you'd like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weber Show. He's at Eric Balchunas. Ben Steverman is at B Steverman. And Suzanne Woolley is at Wealthwatch. What a get that handle is. Trillions is produced by Magnus Hendrickson. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcast. Bye. This is where projects come to life. Our showrooms are designed to inspire with the latest products from top brands, curated in an inviting, hands-on environment, and a team of industry experts to support your project. We'll be there to make sure everything goes as planned, from product selection to delivery coordination. At Ferguson Bath, Kitchen, and Lighting Gallery, your project is our priority. Find great brands like Thermador at your local showroom or visit us online at ferguson.com build. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.